First Peter. It was just a shade over four years ago when I made it known to some of the members of the congregation where I was then serving that I was moving to Shoto to serve as the full-time preacher here. And I'll never forget, one of the brethren over there said, you're going to buy a horse and buggy? And obviously his comments were because of the Amish population around Shoto. And you know, the, uh, particularly the older Ordish, did I say that? The older order Amish, that's what I meant. Uh, particularly the older order Amish and Mennonites are, are well known and they are well recognized for their distinctiveness. They are well known for the distinct differences that set them apart from the rest of society around them. Take for example, the way they dress. It's very easy when you go into a store to note the Amish person. They stand out very quickly by the way that they dress. They're recognized for that distinctiveness. They're also very easy to pick out as you're driving up the highway. I sometimes grimace as some of these tractor trailers go just barreling by up here on, on 69. Some of these tractors with their, their trailer behind them, the farm tractors with the little pickup trailer body behind them. And, it's no doubt that they, that they do stand out very much, and certainly the, the Amish and the Mennonites are not known for taking those long interstate trips because they drive those tractors. They are a very basic, God-first, family-second, honest, hard-working people. They are people whose relationships and existence stand out quite starkly and quite immediately by contrast in today's fast-paced, fast-driven, pride-driven, me-first society, and culture, and nature. They don't seem to mind being different. In fact, some of them are, are they quite seem to relish in it because of the strength of their convictions, which is a very noble thing. And I realize that I'm speaking in generalizations, and I realize that maybe that doesn't fit everybody, but there is a certain thing that comes to mind when you mention the Amish, and, and it's along those lines, typically, as it was for the person whom I told I was moving to Shoto. And so the question, having said that, that comes about this morning that I'd like for us to think about is, are we, as New Testament Christians, known as a people who are distinctly different? Do we, as New Testament Christians, also stand out just as easily, just as eagerly, just as immediately, and just as distinctively in our current culture and society? Are we, as New Testament Christians, recognized, if I may borrow from two examples previously mentioned, are we known? for our modest dress? Are we known for the way that we operate on the highways and byways? Are we known for our God first and fearing, family second, honest and hardworking, loving and forgiving, morally pure and holy, 
upstanding and exemplary Christ-like lifestyles? Because if we are not, we certainly should be. Because the fact is, according to 1 Peter, here comes the punchline, according to 1 Peter, if we're not truly different, then we're probably not truly his disciples. That's kind of the main point of the epistle of 1 Peter that we're going to examine today. A truth that we will examine at length in a sermon entitled, Christians, Strangers and Aliens, Exiles and Foreigners. Our theme verse is going to be found in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Peter discusses those who are not God's people. Peter discusses in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2 those around us who do not want to become God's people because they had rather live for themselves than for him. That's verses 7 and 8. Then we come to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which remind those of us who have obeyed the gospel and become his, been bought with the blood. It reminds us because we do want to be his, of our divine incentive. What is our divine incentive? What Jesus has done for us that we just celebrated right here. And because of that divine incentive, it is that that drives us to live differently than the world around us. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you, that is in contrast to those who don't want to live for God and don't want to obey the gospel, but you, verse 9, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And that brings us to our theme verses because of verses nine and 10, because we are his, because we are to be as different as day and night or darkness and light, because we have tasted his grace and mercy. He says, verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct Honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want you to notice as you look at verses 11 and 12, the difference is obvious, the difference is seen, the difference is visible, the difference is tangible, just as we talked about like a lot of our Amish friends and neighbors where they stand out as different. Our behavior is to stand out as different. Notice it is verse 12, our conduct. It's not just what we think on the inside, but what we think on the inside comes through on the outside. Having our conduct, our actions honorable among the Gentiles, that is those who don't belong to God, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they make by your good works which they observe, by your good works which they see. They're what you're known for. They see the difference, that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Other versions will take that phrase that the New King James Version translates in verse 11 as sojourners and pilgrims. Other translations will translate it as foreigners and exiles. 
foreigners and pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims, aliens and strangers and others. All of these terms convey this idea that we're different. But no matter how your translation translates those two terms, the message is clear. Christians are to be visibly different from the world around them. They are to be completely, visibly, recognizably as far different from those in the lost world around them as darkness is from light. Verse 9. They are to be as recognizably different as the pilgrims who landed in this country in 60, or on this continent in 1620 in Plymouth, Massachusetts were from the Native Americans that they found there. That different. Christians are to be as recognizably different as the Old Order Amish or Mennonites here in Mays County are from the white-collar executives that work in Tulsa. Christians are to be as recognizably different as the first century Christians were from the pagan people who surrounded them. They are to be as recognizably different as the Lord Jesus Christ himself was from those who rejected and denied and persecuted and crucified him. Such aliens and strangers or pilgrims and exiles as we should be means that we should stand out as starkly different. Different from the people around us in everything, from the way we think to the way we speak to the way we act, to the way we react and interact and impact. We should be different in all those ways. We should be different in the way we live, recognizably different, not just thinking, well, I'm a little different because I go to church and most people don't. No, recognizably, visibly different from the culture around us in the way that we live and in the way that we love and in the way that we treat others made in the image of God, we should be different from the world around us. That's the main theme of the epistle of 1 Peter. It's the main point of pretty much everything he else, everything else he writes in this epistle by divine inspiration. We can see that this is, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot in here over the years about how a lot of Bible books have a certain theme that they, that they portray and everything's built around that. It's very easy to read through 1 Peter and, and believe that that is probably truly the theme here, this, this difference. In fact, the book starts right out that way. The very first fact established in this epistle right after Peter announces himself as the author is that very thing. You're pilgrims, you're strangers, you're aliens, you're different. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. Starts right out that way. It's not just in chapter 2, 9 through 11. The opening, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, there it is, boom, right out of the gate, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. This word pilgrims that he uses in chapter 1, verse 1, is the same word we just read in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. It's the same word, pilgrims. According to Vines, this word is an adjective signifying sojourning in a strange place, away from one's people. The word is thus used metaphorically of those to whom heaven is their country and earth is merely a place they're traveling in. 
Strong's says of this word that's translated pilgrims, one who comes from a foreign country to reside by the side of the natives. A stranger traveling in a strange place, a foreigner. In the New Testament, it is metaphorically used in reference to heaven as the native country of one who sojourns on the earth. We sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. That is the idea of this word pilgrims, strangers, aliens. Those people who are completely different and stand out. Peter tells you that's who you've got to be as a Christian. Or else you need to really examine whether or not you are one. But you know, Peter's not the only one that brings this idea home. God's people have always been strangers and aliens on the earth. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, as he talks about some of those great Old Testament people of God, such as Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Look what he tells us right there in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verses 13 through 16. He says, of those people that I just mentioned, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham? Yes. Noah? Yes. Yes. They were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Look what he goes on to say. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying, look, these people said they were strangers and pilgrims, exiles, sojourners, aliens. And he said, if, if they were talking about they're just in a strange country now, talking about that homeland or that original country they came from, he said they could have gone back, so they wouldn't have been straight. But he said they didn't know what they're talking about. He said they were talking about their strangers on earth, how heaven is their home. And so they're different from the world down here because they're strangers and pilgrims and foreigners. And he says, but, but they desire a better country. He said, they understand, they want to go to heaven. Heaven's their home. Heaven is, is, is the home ground, and, and, and they realize they're just here for a little while. And look what he says as he closes out here. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You want to go to heaven? Do you want to go to heaven this morning? Understand that as a stranger and alien on this planet, as one who says, you know what, this isn't my home. I'm not going to act like these people. I'm not going to think like these people. Not, not, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying, as Christians, we have to think differently. We have to act differently. We have to stand out as being different because this ain't home. This ain't home. Home is heaven. And the writer of Hebrews and Peter are not the only one to bring up this idea. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, he says, Brethren, join in following my example. Did you notice it? My example. What I'm doing, how I'm acting, visibly different. Again, Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. We stand out. We're different. It's shown in our actions. Paul says, follow me 
and what you have seen me live, what you have seen from my example, and, and others who, who walk and show that they're different by the, by the example they set. He goes on in that passage to say, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. He said those who are, those who are headed for destruction are those whose God is their belly. In other words, those who just want to please themselves all the time, whose God is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. In other words, they're not different from the world out there around them. They're all looking to take care of number one. They're not interested in living for God. They're living for themselves. But look what he says there in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Our citizenship, heaven's home. This ain't home. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Peter tells us, Paul tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, we're strangers here, we're aliens. And we need to stand out and be recognized as such. The whole theme of the epistle to 1 Peter is this, listen, now that we have been bought by the blood of Christ, and now that we've been bought by that blood and we belong to God, we are going to and have to have a much different goal, a much different incentive, a di much different mindset, a much different lifestyle and a much different set of standards because we have a different Lord. We have a different king. We have a different master. We have a different direction. We have a different destination. We have a different eternal citizenship than those in the lost world all around us. They don't have it. But you know what? This was something these folks already knew. Did you notice again chapter 1 and verse 1? Not only were they pilgrims, but pilgrims of the dispersion. You know what that means? This letter was written to people that had been dispersed. More than likely because of all the Christian persecution that was going on at the time in Jerusalem, they were dispersed. They already knew that there was a cost to following Jesus. They already knew that they had to be different. And that because of their differences, sometimes there was going to be conflict. They were pilgrims of the dispersion that were dispersed out into the country as the persecution in Christians increased. Peter understood that even though they already knew, even though they were pilgrims, they knew, they, they knew the cost of being a pilgrim, they knew that it could cause them to be dispersed because they lived different lives. Peter understood that because that was more important than anything else on earth, that they continued to live like that. That he would remind them again and again and again. It was no problem, as he says in 2 Peter, Chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, it's no problem to remind you of these things again and again and again. And so he begins in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, by reminding them of the one hope, the one goal, the one incentive, the one outcome, the one reward that would make all the difference in them being able to maintain the differences and the distinctiveness of themselves from the lost world all around them. 
He said, here's the one goal, here's the one thing right here. Starts out his letter, blessed be the God and Father, 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you notice what he started with? He's trying to tell these people that already knew if you're different, you're going to be, as a pilgrim, you're going to be dispersed, you're going to stand out, people aren't going to like you for it. What does he start right out with for a message? He reminds them of the incentive. He reminds them of the Heaven. Heaven's what it's all about. Heaven is worth it. Heaven is what you're called to. If we lose sight of that, that hope, that goal, that incentive that he puts right out front in his epistle, we won't have the power to remain different. We won't have the power to keep living different. But if we always keep heaven in sight in the forefront of our minds, it will make all the difference in staying different. That's what the Bible says Jesus did. I'm not going to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that's what Jesus did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It says in verse 3 that we need to do that so we don't become weary and discouraged in our souls. We've got to endure some things. Keeping in mind, keeping in sight that joy of heaven. So as we continue through the book of 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, please follow me along. Obviously, we're not going to read the whole book, but we're going to cover it. In verses 6 through 12, Peter says it is precisely that, that eternal inheritance, that salvation reservation that you have waiting for you in heaven, if you are a Christian, that will take you through even the toughest of fiery trials and bring you out the other side, verse 8, with joy inexpressible. It's that eyes on heaven that'll do that. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, get your mind focused, set your, your hope fully on that grace, on, on what God has done for you. Keep that salvation reservation that God has given you first and foremost in your mind always. Verse 14. How do we do that? Or, or what happens as a result of that? As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. John would tell us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God lives forever. It's the same message. We can't live like we used to. We can't live like the rest of the world around us as, as obedient children. We can't conform to, to the way that we used to live and the lust that we used to have when we had a different master and a different set of standards and, and we fit in so well with the rest of the world. He said, now you can't do that. If you're fully focused on heaven, you can't live like that. But instead, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. The word holy here, where he tells it, he said, look, this is how you're set apart. 
This is, this is the difference. Be holy. Now, this word holy is quite a word. You may have read over this a hundred times, several hundred times. Be holy because I am holy, yada, yada, bang, bang, boing, and you move on. I want you to understand something about this word holy. Holy is the Greek word hagios, and what it means is set apart to God. Set apart to God. Sanctified means set apart for God's service. That's the idea of holy, okay? It is also the word that is translated elsewhere as saints. Who are the saints that Paul wrote to? Those who were set apart. By virtue of the blood of Christ, they were set apart to God's service. Did you know that this same word, hagios, where he tells us to be holy, is used of God himself right there in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15? And oh, by the way, whenever you see the term in the New Testament, Holy Spirit, same word. Hagios. So when God says, or when Peter says by divine inspiration, when God says through Peter, you need to be holy, that is the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy God. This word hagios appears 229 times in the New Testament. 229 times. And 13 of those are used by Peter. Brethren, please notice Verse 15, real close. Please notice that as a Christian, it is all your behavior or conduct that is to be holy. A very visible, very different, very holy, Christ-like purity, Christ-like morality, Christ-like integrity put on display for all to see all the time, whether it is day or night, and whether you are alone or with somebody. Be holy in all your conduct. That's surely different from the world around us. That's different from what our worldly friends want us to engage in. Uh-huh. Sure is. Just the way Peter wrote it 2,000 years ago. And he then goes on to warn us in verses 17 through 21 of 1 Peter 1 that if you are a child of God, you had better always be fearful of letting your conduct ever become anything other than holy. <clears throat> say, Doug, that's strong. I say to you, that's what Peter said. And the reason why, that if you're a child of God, you had better always be fearful of ever letting your conduct ever become anything other than holy. The reason for it is found in verses 17 through 21. Because of the incredibly infinite, awful high price that it took to redeem you from those type of deeds in the first place. That's why. 
Because of what God was willing to give up in the pure and unblemished blood of his son in order to cleanse you from that very unholiness and those very unholy deeds and those ungodly deeds and those sins, it cost him so much to buy you back from that that you can't afford to go back into it. That's why God stresses it so strongly. It is the same blood sacrifice of the Son of God which we come to know through his word which also enables us to love like God. That's verses 22 through 25 of chapter 1. You see, it's that same kind of love when God would give his Son up for us even when we were sinners, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It is, it is that type of love that we learn about and read about within the word of God that we must also visibly extend, exhibit, and express to one another. That's what it says here in verses 22 to 25. Since you have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. What did Jesus say would make the world recognize us as his? If you love one another. John 13, 34, and 5. It has to be that kind of love. John nailed this same kind of love in, in 1 John chapter 3, particularly beginning at verse 10. Listen to this. He says, 1 John 3, beginning at verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of, devil, of the devil are made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Hey, wait, whoa, whoa. That's what Peter just said. Didn't Peter just say the same thing? He who does not practice righteousness, Peter said he was not holy, or, or you've got to be holy. John says you've got to practice righteousness as well as love your brother, and that's how people are going to know that we belong to God. Well, that's the same message of Peter, chapter 1 Peter 1. John goes on to say in 1 John 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verses 13 through 18 say, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John concludes in 1 John 3.18 by saying, My little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Whoa. You mean I can't just say it, I've got to show it? You mean it's got to come through in my conduct? You mean I've got to exhibit it for the rest of the world to see this kind of love for my brethren? Uh-huh. Peter and John were writing about the same thing because Peter and John saw the same thing and Peter and John wrote at the behest of the same Holy Spirit. But all of this type of love and living differently, all of that is only made possible through the strength we get from the word of God. Look at chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. He says, 1 Peter, that is, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How does a newborn baby desire milk? Let me tell you how. It doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're busy. It doesn't matter if you're doing something else or you're on a phone call. When a baby's hungry, they let you know they're hungry. 
And as soon as they get the milk that they're looking for, within a few hours, guess what? Again, it doesn't matter really what you're doing. They're going to let you know, hey, it's feeding time. Over and over and over again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, one of the things that marks a New Testament Christian as a stranger and an alien is that we just can't get enough of God's word. And so we've got to put aside all that other stuff and like newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word of God. I am going to study. I have got to continue to study God's word. I don't care what's going on sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep. I'm going to get into God's word. I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep needing to go back to that well again and again and again and again and again. That's what makes us different. And notice it's the pure milk of God's word. In those days, what they would often do with, with milk is that they would put gypsum, like uh, drywall, gypsum, chalky substance. They'd put it in, mix it with the milk to make it go further. They would contaminate it that way. It didn't really hurt the kids if they wanted a lot in it. It just made the milk go a little bit further, made it a little, little more of it, if you will. They tainted it, the pure milk, with, with this substance. And the point here that Peter is making is we must desire the pure, untainted, unpoisoned milk of the word. No man-made substances put in it. No man-made doctrines, just simply the pure milk of the word. That's one of the things that, as well that sets us aside. It's holy. It's this that leads to the distinctiveness and the differences that should be recognizable in our lives. As we see here in the rest of chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, goes on to explain how it's the word of God and our obedience to it that sets us apart from the lost world. Verses uh, 9 through 11 that we've already talked about tell us, as Christians, how we are to be radically, radically, incredibly, visibly different in every way possible from those in the world around us. As we move on from chapter 2, verses, our theme verse there in verse 11, we look down through, for instance, verses 13 through 17. One of the ways we are to be visibly different from the world around us is when it comes to our obeying the law of the land. And again, the Amish stand out when they're going down the highway. Do we? Do people get mad at... Do, you suppose people sometimes... Don't raise your hands if you've done this. You suppose people get angry sometimes with, you know, the tractor going down the middle of the road and slows them down and all that sort of thing. It's like, man, come on, I got, I got this, I got that. And, you know, I think sometimes people that, that don't, people that don't understand, people that don't understand the strength of, of our Amish friends and neighbors' convictions, I think maybe, especially on a little narrow road, might get a little upset because they're driving slow. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever gotten mad at you and buzzed around you and beat the horn at you because you're only doing the speed limit? Just a thought. We should stand out like that. Verses 18 through 25 tell us that we should be different from the world in the way that when we do something good and right and still get punished by it, for it, especially by those in authority over us, how we as strangers and aliens need to react with the same level of love and humility that Christ did on the cross. That's chapter 2, 18 through 25. Let's face it, you all know what the headlines today say. You all know that loving your neighbor is yourself, turning the other cheek, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who hate you, and praying for those who spitefully use and persecute you, Matthew 5, 38 through 48. 
Those are totally foreign things in today's culture, totally foreign. And yet that is the very thing that we as Christians are called to do. But you see, I say that, I say, well, you know, all those things that Jesus instructed in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, you know, again, turning the other cheek and praying for those who persecute you and loving your enemies and all that, I say, the world out there just doesn't seem to be familiar with that. But here's the thing, the world out there should be familiar with that because they should see that in us. If they know us, they should at least, they may not practice it, they may reject it. People threw out Jesus, okay? People still throw out Jesus. But they ought to at least be familiar with how it works if they know a Christian. All right? Peter says it is. That's one of the ways that we should stand out. And these differences must be absolutely visible in our homes and marriages as well. As you go into chapter 3 and you look at verses 1 through 6, it goes on to indicate that as blood-bought, born again of the water and the spirit, strangers and aliens, that Christian women, and wives, and daughters who are following God have a distinctively different and far more pure and holy and morally upright set of standards than the women of the world. This when it comes to things like their love and their loyalty and their ethics and their priorities and their attitudes and their humility and their beauty and their behavioral standards and their dress codes, they are different. And their husbands, or the men are to be too, verse seven. You know, it seems to be the standard in our world today, in our lost world. It seems to be the standard that the tighter the clothing and the more skin that one can show, the more attractive people who do that think they are. But that is not, that is not what God's standard is for his daughters when it comes to their beauty 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, which brings to mind this thought. Even in the summer when it is extraordinarily hot, you can go into any store around this area and still you can easily pick out the Amish person, can't you? By the way they're dressed. Is that right? I mean, even when it's hot, you can pick them out. They're different. As Christian men and women, are we? Strangers and aliens, do we stand out? Because if not, we should. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That brings us to the broader strangers and aliens attitudes and interactions that ought to define all of our relationships as children of God that should set us apart from the rest of the world. We find this in chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, where he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. This is a strangers and aliens thing. This isn't the way the world operates, but it's the way we as Christians should stand out. Be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. 
knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Wow, Peter. Uh-huh. That's what we're called to. That we might inherit a blessing. But, but Peter doesn't leave us hanging. He goes on to tell us what the blessing is. Look what he says in verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He said, you want to be blessed by God, then you've got to be different the way you treat each other. You've got to be. There's no option here. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But this is what we are to do, and it should stand out. This turn-the-other-cheek attitude should stand out. In verses 13 through 17 of chapter 3, he's going to go on to tell us that if we ever suffer or are persecuted because of the differences, because we live a different life and, and all of that, he said, don't worry. Verses 13 through 17, just keep on trusting God. Do his will. Keep on living a pure and holy strangers and aliens lifestyle and, and God will take care of it. That's the message of verses 13 through 17. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, he's going to tell us several things. He said, look, when you're different from the world around you, there's a lot of people going to think you're nuts. That's not exactly what he says. Um, I can read it, I guess. He says in verse 3 of chapter 4, we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. People are going to think you're strange. Uh, hello, strangers and aliens. That word should be familiar by now. People are going to think it's strange when you don't live like they do, when you don't indulge in all of the sin that they do, and, and they're going to speak evil of you. They're going, to, what's the matter, goody two-shoes? What's the matter with you? Yeah. Peter says 2,000 years ago, that, that's going to happen. They're going, they're going to speak evil of you. They're going to think you're strange. Do you know what it is when people think you're strange? You know what that is? You know what that is? saying you're doing something right because you're a stranger and an alien and your behavior stands out as different from the world around you. People say, you just, what, you are so different. Pray, you know what you need to say? People say, praise God. That's what you need to say. Thank you. That's what I'm striving for. Wow. Yes, that, that, that's what Peter told us 2,000 years ago. Peter says that God's going to take care of that too. Just keep on doing the right thing. Verses 7 through 11. And he says, in, in verses 12 through 19 of chapter 4, he said, look, don't think it's strange. We're beginning right there in verse 12. Beloved, don't think it's strange. When such trouble or persecution arises because you're living so differently and people think you're strange and, and they persecute, he said, don't, don't think that's strange. He said, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. And he says, when that happens, look what he says. I love the way he words it. He says, when that happens, verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. This, this isn't the first time he's mentioned that exceeding joy. He mentioned it right in chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, these fiery trials you're going through, if you keep heaven in mind, it's going to give you exceeding joy and bring you through them. And, and he mentions it here again that, that when you're persecuted, particularly for being different, which has been the message of the whole book, he said that's the same thing Christ was, and, and you can be glad with exceeding joy. Look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You want to be blessed? You want to be considered a blessed person? 
That when you're persecuted for being different, for standing up for Jesus and, and for being more morally pure and holy and upright, that's an awesome thing. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Listen, we sing the song, we will glorify and we want to glorify God. Peter tells us how. He said, you really want to glorify God? Then you be so different in the way you think and act and conduct yourself. You be so different that you stand out, so different that people will look at you and say, you're strange. But you live for Jesus with this, with this different set of standards and this holiness and this purity, and you're not foul-mouthed, and you're not doing all the things that, that, that the rest of the world is doing. And he says, and you stand out, and, and they find fault with that. He says, that's how God's glorified, verse 14. But let none of you, verse 15, suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters. In other words, don't be like the rest of the world. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone suffers because they're different, they're standing up, they're walking in the light, and they're going to do it God's way no matter what anybody says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed at all. Glorify God. That's how you glorify God. That awesome? We get to glorify God, but not without being different. Then he goes on finally. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 concludes that we must all continue to humble ourselves before God now that we belong to him by virtue of the blood of his son and how we must always continue to adhere to his standards as strangers and aliens, always. And when we do that, we do it because we understand this world is not our home. This world is not our own. No matter how much those in the world may seek to malign us, reject us, persecute us, or worse yet, get us to compromise the holy standard that God put in front of us. That's a big one. You know, it's one thing to be ridiculed and rejected by friends who don't understand that because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to behave like that. I'm not going to do that. That's one thing. Okay? I can handle that. Most of us can, most of us can deal with that. What's even sneakier and even more effective is when they try to, instead of, instead of belittling us, instead of rejecting us, try to grease the skids and get us to compromise our convictions, get us to go along with this sin. Well, you know, it wouldn't hurt that much if you did this just once or you did the, you know, it's not that everybody else in blah, 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 blah. When they try to get you to compromise, but, but the beautiful thing that I want us to see here is in chapter 5, if we will just, verse 6, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, keep on keeping on for God, keep his standard, that he will exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, when somebody in the world tries to get you to compromise your convictions for Christ, they try to get you to live less pure, less morally, less upright, they try to get you to go along with a different set of standards and do something that God does not approve of. Listen, when they do that, we need to resist the devil's tactics, knowing that we're not alone in this. Other people just like us are going through the same thing. That's, that's what Peter says right here. But here's the beauty and here's the punchline. When you do that, when you stand up for what is right, when you do what is right, when your conduct is different, even if Satan comes after you, 
even if your friend's trying to get you to compromise, if you will just stay the course and stay faithful, look at what it says in 10 and 11. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, yeah, they're going to keep coming at you, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Isn't that beautiful? You know, it says, says, listen, if you stand up for what's right, despite the pressure of those around you, and you do the right thing, it's going to be a struggle for a while. It's going to happen. God's going to let them come at you for a little. Yeah. But if you stand up, God in the end is going to reward you and strengthen you and comfort you and confirm you, and you will be rewarded. That's what Peter said when you exhibit that strangers and aliens behavior. You may have noticed as we just did a very brief synopsis of 1 Peter today based on the theme strangers and aliens from verse 11 that I left part of the book out. The one part of the book that I neglected to cover is in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 21. Let me say before I quote it and then close that this is something that also sets us apart from the world. It seems strange to the world. It seems foreign and alien, not only to the world around us, but to much of the religious world around us as well. And yet scripture says exactly what I'm about to tell you. One of the things that saves us or sets us apart, according to God, that makes us strangers and aliens throughout much of our world is found in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21. I'm going to be reading it from the New American Standard Version. Follow along in whatever version you have. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedience. And the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Verse 21, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scriptures tell us that it is when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, specifically for that reason, according to Acts 2 and verse 38, that God adds us to his church, verse 47. He adds us to that saved group of people that are under the blood. And a lot of people in this world don't believe that. And they think we're a little weird for believing that. I think we're a little strange, praise God. I believe it because God said it. Do you believe it? Are you willing this morning to be stranger and to become a stranger? to this world by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins as the Bible commands in Acts 2? Maybe you're somebody here that's already done that, but you've heard this morning's lesson. You said, you know what? I don't stand out. When I go into a store or I go to school or I go to work or I go wherever I go, you know, I, I, I don't think if anybody took a look at me and the people around me, they'd see a whole lot of difference in the way I act, react, interact. The way I dress, the way I talk, and the way I behave, I, I, I need to change that. And believe me, if you fit in with the world, you do need to change that because God's people are strangers and aliens. If you'd like the prayers of the church for strength in that area, or again, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, please let us know right now as we stand and sing.